Welcome, everybody, to the breakdown for June 28th, the last edition here in June in 2023. As always, Derek Taylor at DT on OB on the other side here, wearing his University of Manitoba Bison shirt today, which I absolutely love, some U-Sports love. Uh, he's also sitting, if you're watching the YouTube version of this, on the concourse at IG Field because he's a working man and he's at Bombers practice, right? Oh, spotting all the trends and seeing all the things and trying to juggle all the ratio things that will have to happen if this guy's in this spot and stuff. It's This is fun. It's it's kind of like a puzzle. You go, okay, here's what we see on day one. What's it going to look like on day four and who's going in for whom? And it's uh, there's going to be some changes for the Bombers this week when they go to Montreal. Let's just say that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm also very excited to see you in person uh, first time this year because I will have that game in Montreal. That is Canada Day. It should be an amazing match. It's actually, you know what? I, I know that the CFL and their scheduling has had some issues, whether it's like, you know, Bo Levi against Calgary, for example, back in Calgary would have been great. Who knows? Maybe with the injury stuff or, or the play, it wouldn't have happened anyways. But they kind of fell face first into an amazing Canada Day weekend here because Ottawa Edmonton, despite <laughs> the fact that they are both not playing at a very high level at all, it's kind of a great matchup because it's like, well, who wants to be the worst of the worst? Or does one of you actually want to dig your heels in and get the hell out of the basement? So that's yeah. a fun one on Friday. I've got that game as well. Then you've got on Saturday, Canada Day, where Winnipeg for the first time in what feels like the post-COVID announcement, we're in a pandemic era, actually ended up getting beat around a little bit, let alone at their own place. They go to Montreal where they're undefeated 2-0. What's the strength of the teams that Montreal has actually played against? We'll talk about that. I have that yep. game. And then on Monday, you've got BC Toronto, which is mm. Vernon, Vernon Adams Jr. against Chad Kelly, the best defense in the league in BC, trying to shut down what is the big-name quarterback at this point. Uh, I also have that game. If you're following along, I have all three games this weekend. <laughs> Wait, uh, what? Yeah. So I will be wow. uh, I will be living somewhere on the 401 between uh, Thursday, June 29th, and Tuesday, July 4th. Uh... Wow. <laughs> well, let's get some shawarma in Montreal then. The pregame <laughs> shawarma in Montreal is awesome. So let's have some of that and you can, uh, you'll be halfway through your, your week. Oh my goodness. Dude. I agree. I agree. It's going to be a crazy one, but let's, uh, before we dive into some of these matchups and the things that we're interested in here, uh, the announcement did come out from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Justin Medlock, who I know as somebody who has loved and respected the art of kicking in the Canadian Football League for a long time. Medlock getting honored by the Bombers and him coming back and being around the organization. We've talked with him here when we were doing the Daily News podcast. One of the most fun dudes to just have an honest conversation with that I think I've been around the Canadian Football League. Um, how do you feel about Medlock and the honor that is being bestowed upon him? Because I know that you've always really, really had a keen eye on his game. Yeah, he's, so he's going, been inducted into the Blue Bombers Hall of Fame. It'll happen in their last regular season game. He'll be honored here at IG Field. Medlock is the best kicker in the history of the CFL. And folks have said, well, what about a guy like Louis Pisaglia? Louis kicked for 100 years and was, was fantastic. But kicking has come so far since 2000. Like, Louis Pisaglia finished his career at 77%. Now, I think in the last five seasons, there's been one guy who ended his season at 77% and uncoincidentally is not in the league anymore. It's an 85, 90% league now. Uh, so Medlock is just the best I, I've ever seen. There, there's two stats I like to throw around for Justin Medlock, three to tell you the truth. Uh, one is in regular season and playoffs, Medlock had 63 attempts 
of 50 yards or more. The second most attempts of 50 yards or more is Renee Paredes, who just this past week got past halfway to Bedlock's number of 50-yard attempts. Second place, he's double, essentially, the second-place guy for 50-yard attempts. That's bonkers. Crazy. Bonkers. Uh, the second one is, as I was digging through it, he was good as he was great as 50-yard attempts, but from 30 to 39 yards, those those field goals that we as fans go, you got to make this, but kickers know, uh, it's probably an 80% kick here. Uh, Medlock hit between 30 and 39 yards, hit 96% of his kicks in his career. Second best in that category is Paul McCallum, who hit 89%. He was a leap ahead of the second best one in 30 or 39 yards. And you go, this is, this is fantastic. And then I will do, you and I have talked about this. I'll do uh, kicking value compared to average, right? Yep. Where you take a 45 yard kick is what he's lining up for. How is how kickers, CFL kickers have done historically for 45 and compare it to that. Medlock of uh, the six best seasons in the CFL. And it, it goes back to 2005, but I can't imagine anybody before was better. Since 2005 of the six best seasons, Medlock has five of them, five of the six best seasons. Brett Lothers, the other one, his 2018 season was phenomenal. Medlock was an absolute monster. And then, oh, by the way, at the end, he was punting and kicking off as well. He's yep. just, he's the best kicker I ever saw. And it'll be, a, it'll be a time before there's one better than him because he was, he had the ultimate trust of, of his teammates and his coaches. Yeah. And I, the one that I always remember that is that trust when you're talking about the number of 50 plus attempts was the playoff game in BC on the road. And I forget what year that was, but I just remember that was the big talking point because I believe that was the West semi. I think I was covering the Eastern yeah. semi. And so, you know, we watched the Eastern semi. We did all of the post-game reaction. I think I did a podcast or something, shot some videos for CFL.ca. And we basically get back to the hotel and sit down in front of a television for like the start of the fourth quarter in the Western semi. And so you're kind of downloading rapid fire what's happened in this game. And it just kind of comes down to the end. And it's like, O'Shea's letting Medlock come out from where? 61. Right? And, and I remember it just being like so stunning. And then I was like, this is the ultimate, you're the best option I have in this situation because I trust you so much as a player. And I just, that one will stick with me forever. And it totally lines up with that number of deep attempts that you mentioned. Yeah, that, that one, third and four. And it's like, we could try a quick play and hope to get down in time and then hammer it to the end zone. Or, you know what? Justin says he can hit from 61 here in BC Place. Let's go with let's go with Justin, and it yeah. it made perfect sense at the time. And people reached out. Do you think it was the right call? I'm like, there aren't a lot of good options. I'll take the I'll take the Hall of Famer level kicker, absolutely, and and the best kicker I ever saw. Yeah, I I, I wish he made it. That would have been an unbelievable I moment. Agree. But uh, yeah, it's it's one that uh, we asked O'Shea about it. You know, on the coach's show, and he's like, yeah, that's with Justin Medlock. Yeah, I wish we'd done better leading up to that, but at that point, it's Justin Medlock. <laughs> So true. Uh, let's talk some more Bombers here before we move off to other things. Uh, the game against, again, I guess full circle here, BC Lions uh, that happened last Thursday. Um, I, you know, I was enjoying an off night, uh, not having to prepare for a game uh, because I had already finished my prep basically for Friday night in Hamilton where Montreal and Hamilton played. But so I, I am out on a date night and I come back and I see the start of the second half and they run the highlight reel of pressure on Zach Laros. And I went, the hell is going on here? And then I, I go, yeah. I, I look at the score. I go, BC's not going away. I need to actually watch this. So I sit down and I start watching it, and it just never 
stopped. It was the most relentless pressure I have seen on Kolaros as a quarterback in Winnipeg Golden Blue since he has been there. Uh, what the hell happened yeah. in that game? And, and I mean, it could just be offensive line. It could be a variety of different things. I've talked to different people around the league. Some of them think that it was scheme. Some of them think that BC's defensive line is just that good. Some people think that the tackles, Hardrick and, and Stanley Bryant, just weren't mentally prepared and ready to play because they were getting out of their stance late. There's all sorts of different reasons you could give for this. What have you seen from watching it in person and then, of course, going back and re-looking at it? Yeah, you mentioned the pressure. Zach sacked seven times in that game. In 42 games uh, as a bomber, he'd never been sacked more than five times, and that was only once. So this was head and shoulders above it. And there were... I think there were three sacks that came, three rushers against five five offensive linemen. And how does that happen? How does Matthew Betts beat a Jamarcus Hardrick, Jeff Gray double team? Was remarkable to watch. Doug Brown, the Hall of Fame defensive tackles in the booth going, they're, they're getting this three on five. This should not happen. You have two double teams by nature, and this should not be happening. But uh, I remember having a conversation with Jamarcus Hardrick a couple of days before the game, and he said Betts is – Betts is uh, really, he's really good. He, he has that speed that forces you, you want to stay parallel, but he forces you to turn, right? And you saw, okay, well, he made a guy turn. He made a guy turn, and then he caught a guy, he caught one of the tackles overplaying, and then just speed rushed him inside. And he went, well, I, I now officially don't know if there's anything left that they can do in this one. It was an incredible performance from that whole BC defensive line because David Menard was in everybody's business as he always is. David Menard is not a starter in the CFL and, and he's unbelievable, right? It's just, it's so intriguing. And then Woody Barron and Josh Banks in the middle didn't pop the stat sheet, but man alive, that, that whole front was, was excellent. And there was just nothing. Kolaris, we've talked about this before, Marsh. Kolaris is the best statistically at keeping pressure from turning into sacks. Yep. But there's some pressure that you you have no chance. You have no chance. If Matthew Betts can speed rush inside, you're you're not going anywhere good. There's just nothing you can do. So it it just the Bombers will talk about it as it's just one of those whoopings that you take every once in a while. Uh, the the kind of media narrative, if you wanted the first take, it is oh they got old overnight. Everybody's right. old, right? <laughs> and I just. I, I just don't believe that to be true because we saw it in a couple of games, but it's something they have to, you have to look at and go, okay, well, they also don't have one of their top two fullbacks, right. For extra protection. They've been using six offensive linemen, but that's more a run thing. Um, yeah. It's, it, they got to find a way. Brady Oliveira was nicked right with a bruise, an injured thorax though. He looked good in the game. It's there. That's, that's one thing they're going to figure out because Montreal, uh, is not going to take it easy as the blitzingest team with with stud defensive uh, linemen as well. Yeah, totally agree. And, and the reason that I I think was so taken aback by this game was that you saw, as you say, Klaros gets rid of the football. He's smart. He knows how to evade pressure. I mean, really underrated as a as a mobile quarterback, being able to prevent some bad things from happening. But time and time and time again, when you go back and you and you clip those plays back to back to back to back to back, it was like take the snap hit the back of your drop on three quick little steps, be ready to throw. And all of a sudden, instead of throwing and following through and being able to be himself, he's stiff arming dudes because there's people that are like five, six, seven, eight yards deep in the backfield. And he's all of a sudden trying to hold somebody off and find an option. And where's the Jersey that's the same color as mine that has a number where I'm allowed to throw to them. And he, as the game went on, 
I think the the veteran maturity of Zach Kolaros, to his credit, in that situation, especially at home, uh, really showed. Because I think a younger quarterback, I think a more fiery quarterback, I think a quarterback who doesn't understand the big picture of, okay, this is a really difficult night for us, but this isn't the end of the season, right? Like, he's not going to overreact. He's seen everything in this league. They might have gotten pissed off. They might have lashed out. They, They might have gotten angry on the sideline. They might have made a comment in the postgame. I might be wrong, but I didn't see any of that from Kolaros whatsoever. And that, to me, I, I think you see people's character get revealed in good times sometimes. You really see it get revealed in bad times. Kolaros showed that he's not just the MOP of the CFL, that he's also the leader of that damn room in a really, really difficult night. And it's the reason why I think when you're looking around the CFL at this point, I, again, aside from the fact that Montreal's played Ottawa, who doesn't look very good, Hamilton, who really hasn't been good so far offensively, and I think people are just saying, there's no way in hell Winnipeg loses, even though this is on the road, even though this is on in Montreal. It's like, if they win, it's because Zach's calming influence and ability to weather that storm in a really bad night against a, an, an opponent in BC that looks like they're legit. He was able to keep everybody kind of level-headed and come out of that night. I have so much respect for that, especially the most important position in the game. Yeah, and it was it's noticeable when I watched it back on TV. Of course, I called it live, but you watch it back on TV and Zach's down for the sixth time. And he know like he must know the camera's on him, right? Because yeah. his facial there's no facial reaction of yeah, yeah. A, <laughs> yeah. right. The, the facial reactions of uh Bo Levi Mitchell when he's throwing the ball and Duke Williams isn't where he thought he should be. He's got his arms up in the air and he's like, What? Zach, I, I've never asked him about it, but it seems I get the impression he's very aware of that and how that could be perceived, and he doesn't want to. He celebrates with his teammates. Yes, three touchdowns in the first quarter. Let's go. Let's guitar play. Yeah. Let's high five it. But if it's going bad, he is very he's very neutral faced. And and you know because we're in the media, we're going to take that and run with it, right? Yeah. So he he seems very sharp in that way. It's a good observation, Marshall. I wonder if he learned that from his time in Hamilton at zero and eight. I really do because oh, when it, when it was swindle. Oh, well, it, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's a there's an offensive line name pull for you, but I, I mean, I I remember moments where he and Kent Austin visibly on the sidelines were just disgusted with each other, like could not stand each other. Either it was the way that you're playing it, the way that you're calling it, the way that we're communicating, the the personnel package, whatever it was. He was so frustrated at 0 and 8 that there was multiple. I remember there was a, a I want to say it maybe was like the sixth game of the 0 and 8 stretch to start the season. And they were down on like the five yard line and it was, you know, second down and they called a running play and God knows what running back it was for the Tiger Cats because, you know, they ran 15 of them through. Alex Green, maybe. Yeah, it might have been Alex Green for all we know, but ended up, you know, running into the two yard line and then the, the field goal unit comes out. Crowd boos. Kolaros comes off the sideline, doesn't slam his helmet, but just kind of chucks it on the bench. Like, what the hell are we doing? You took the ball out of my hand on second down and you're not going to give me the chance on third. Like, what are we doing? We're 0-6. What the hell? And he was visibly disgusted. And then Kent Austin heard the boos and then he saw Zach and then he did the old, all right, offense, let's get the offense out there. Let's go ahead, get the offense out there. And they ran out and they ended up scoring a touchdown and Zach still walked off the field shaking his head. I think this is why I bring it up in that Winnipeg BC game is that there's been points, whether it be Toronto, 
or even Saskatchewan, right? And, and being able to see it in Hamilton is like, there's been points where he has been get sacked and you're holding the ball still and slam the ball down on the ground in a moment of frustration and get back up and walk to the sideline. And I think it takes a lot for a guy to be understanding of the big picture enough to not have any of those in a night that was that bad for something that yeah. he cannot control as much as a quarterback wants to control protection you can guide you can try and help you cannot control all of it it was out of his control and maybe he just made peace with it was like we'll figure it out it's fine but that's crazy to me. yeah it, he I, I assume he knows how blessed he is to be with still in my mind the best receiving core in the cfl and and i mean a top level offensive line i haven't sat down and figured out who's got the best offensive line right but he must feel pretty blessed about this but that's, I mean, 30 to six, that was, the offense was a real shock, but man, the, the defense is as, uh, as holy as I kind of wondered about it back in February when we looked at this went, well, they didn't generate a ton of pressure and a couple of pass interference calls and Lucky Whitehead was open with a 15 yard radius around him. There's, there's some concerns, I think, from Bomber Nation about what's, what's happening on, uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, let's move on to, uh, you know what, before we get to BC Toronto, because I think that is the marquee matchup here of the week outside of the Winnipeg-Montreal game, uh, which, by the way, I think Edmonton and Ottawa is just going to be decided by special teams because that seems like the only good part of those teams right now. So, well, Devontae Dedman out for the uh, season for man. the Red Blacks. Like, that's, that's I, I, I kind of make the, the observation that five or six teams feel like they have the best returner in the game. Uh, Winnipeg certainly won. BC is one. Uh, Ottawa feels like Devontae Dedman is, is an absolute world beater. And to lose him for the season and the kind of things they start to do with him in the offense, that's that's such a big loss. And then uh, welcome to – I mean, we're going to get two, two new quarterbacks in that one probably, Marsh. Tyree Adams and, and, and Daigie. I, uh, I sent one of my friends a text yesterday that said, week four in the CFL – and I'll be calling Tyree Adams against Jared Deggy just like I expected back at the start of June, right? Like, no, I was expecting Masoli's back from injury and Taylor Cornelius is supposed to be zipping it all over the place to all of his new targets and be making big splashy plays. And I'm like, yeah, that ain't happening. It's like, I thought Kyle Oxley yeah. was going to be really fun this year. Well, he gets released because he doesn't want to be on the sideline and do anything helpful for his team. So Chris Jones gets fed up with that and moves on from him. And it's like, well, now Trey Ford is on the roster. If Daggy doesn't play well, we might end up with Tyree Adams versus Trey Ford. And like, <laughs> I, 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 I honestly, I'm so, I don't want to say confused because that I feel like that's disrespectful to Jeremiah and the injury that he suffered. But what is happening with Jeremiah Masoli? Like, when is, when is he coming back? Because we were told, start of training camp, and then there was whispers of, well, it might not be the, the first game of the year. And then it was like, well, it actually might not be until after the bye. And then it's like, well, we're here after the bye. And, nope. Is it is it next week? Is it a month from now? Is it Labor yeah. Day? Is it, Like, there's there's no definitive answer. And I don't know that there needs to be, but for an, for a franchise in Ottawa that's trying so hard to win a home game and to reward their fans that have been through so much with them the last couple of years. How do you give them no answers on the, on the timeline for your starting quarterback like that, that in, in professional football, that seems like a fairly rudimentary thing. Tom Brady has a messed up knee and he's going to be back for week six. And I know that yeah. these timelines are flowing, but like, man, it's getting really weird in Ottawa to me. Well, and, and that's what made me think when they said he won't be back before the bye week, I thought, oh, this is this could be a longer-term thing. 
And now that, you know, Nick's being pushed back and Tyree's being moved up and it's not Jeremiah. And they haven't said to your point, like they, they understand everything about what you just said. And to, to me, I infer from that, since they're not saying anything, it's, it's still going to be like, are we talking the middle of the season week 10? Like, it feels like it's still got a, a, a ways to go before Masoli's back. And again, I'm just inferring from the, the lack of messaging from Ottawa. If they're not saying anything, uh, they may not know, or they may just be, hey, we don't like where, where his knee is at right now. So I, I like, I'm kind of operating from the, uh, from the observation, from the point of my Jeremiah Masoli leads the, the league in passing futures are absolutely dead because he's not back till week 10. Yeah, it, it feels like that because they're being quiet. It feels like that might be the way that it's going. But again, it's worst case scenario is that the offense doesn't have success throwing the football with Tyree Adams. And then they have to start looking around and going, can we go back to Arbuck? Because I did a lot of Red Blacks games last year. And it was from Caleb Evans to Tyree Adams to Caleb Evans to this, to Caleb Evans to that, to back to Caleb Evans, to back to Nick Arbuckle, to Nick Arbuckle out and Caleb Evans in. And it was like, you're just rotating and there's no difference here. So I really hope for Red Blacks fans that that's not what they get on Friday. But I want to talk about yeah. Montreal. Montreal, they're 2-0. They played against Ottawa. That first game, Arbuckle, deep balls, terrible. Uh, and then they play against Hamilton in Hamilton. They get worthy on a touchdown. You mentioned great returners in the game. And then you end up having a, a, a an Alouette's team that I'm, I'm not at like, you know, 9 of 10, 10 of 10 intrigued yet. But when we started the season and we saw the roster and all the pieces that they lost in free agency, I really thought, man, I don't know what their formula for success is here. I could probably project it knowing what Fajardo and Moss was, but then you add in the flair of Austin Mack and then you start to look around at some of the other pieces and they're, I'm so interested in what their formula for success is right now in Montreal because they're not getting a lot out of their running game. I thought that they would. I thought that would be their saving grace. It's 74 yards rushing per game right now, sixth in the CFL. They're at eighth in the CFL, an average rush. They only have yeah. two two rushing touchdowns. They're not throwing the ball at the top of the league, but they have the best uh, yards per pass attempt at 12.3, the highest completion percentage at 73.3 for Cody Fajardo, and they're, limi- and they're limiting turnovers. They're plus eight. They have not thrown an interception in their first two games against Ottawa or Hamilton. And so I'm, I'm so intrigued by why is this working for Montreal? And all of this might totally be, you know, a, a big piece of ice that gets smashed over your knee and explodes and we forget all about why is this working for Montreal? Because Winnipeg might just come in angry and, and beat them up. But what do you see that has been working? for Montreal right now? Because this this formula for success is not what I thought it was going to be. I thought they were just going to pound people with standback. Yeah, and and 74 yards a game in two wins. Like, wins are where you pile up fourth quarter runs, right? And they, they've been, you have your fourth quarter runs and this is still it. Like, it's, it's certainly not been establishing the run whatsoever. I, I, I wonder how close this is to the 2019 Ottawa Red Blacks. Hmm. Where they started that season two and zero, and then Ottawa finished that season three and fifteen. It was it was a, a false dawn is the right word. You're like, okay, this is this is nice, and they won two games, but they didn't beat anybody, and they're a six point dog at home to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in week three, right? Uh, they don't have what Phil Pot and they don't have Greg Ellingson on that offense. Two guys you expected to be starters, so they're really making magic with you know their sixth and seventh receivers. Uh, 
The offensive line, okay, fine. I'm good with that. Defense, good. Uh, but they lost so much of that defense. They thought they had Jamal Roll. Well, he decided to retire. They lost Adarius Pickett to Toronto. Adarius Pickett is killing guys in Toronto this year. Yeah. Killing guys in Toronto this year. That's a loss. Um, I I don't think I, – I just can't – just from what I've seen so far, and I haven't charted out all of their, ga- all of their games, but I don't think it's for real. Uh, I think I think though it. Uh, we were talking last year a lot about Moss and Fajardo, and I had this hypothesis that do Moss and Fajardo not get along? Because what explains this Saskatchewan offense and him being Cody being sacked fifty-seven times on pass dropbacks? What is the deal here? Uh, but those two guys love it. Those two guys love each other. Yeah. They are they are buds. They they both kind of see the game uh, the same way. I'm told. So uh, that part has been really good for them. And and Fajardo. He was wearing a knee brace last year. He looks looks good this year. It, yes. Cody looks really good. Like it's it's a high completion percentage. I I think he's an accurate passer. I, I think I could have the numbers to back up. He's an accurate passer, and he's got that run element. And you go, okay, this this has some real real effects. And it doesn't hurt that Austin Mack has been a star through two weeks Amazing. and is the the fantasy player of the year so far, right? Um, yeah, it's it may not be expected, but it's I mean. The run game in 2023 CFL football, I, I have a, I struggle to think of a single game that's been materially impacted by the run game. Really, like yeah. it's it's the passing game, and it's you know if you don't turn it over and you complete a high rate, and like you like you said, number one in yards per attempt yep. or yards per pass play, yeah, that's that's the recipe for success. So uh, more power to them. And, but I, I don't I don't think they're a three win team like the 19 Red Blacks necessarily. But I think we are deceived by the teams they've played in their start. Let's say that. Yeah, I, I think that's spot on analysis. And it's not that I think the exact same thing necessarily, but in terms of waiting to see what's real, I got real doubts about Ottawa and Hamilton from what we've seen. And I think Montreal's taken advantage of that early on. They will not be able to take advantage of that against Winnipeg. So that's going to be a great game on Canada Day. DT and I will both be there for you. Who knows? Maybe we record a little 30-second breakdown at the end of the game on my cell phone. We'll see what happens. But um, before I let you go, I do want to just dabble into – you just saw them last week. Obviously, we touched on all the pressure. Uh, The Toronto offense, uh, just looking at some of the numbers here as I was prepping for the game, and we're talking about, you know, rush yards per game. Uh, Toronto's offense is averaging 152 yards rushing per game. And, again, that's fourth-quarter stuff because they've been beating Hamilton and they've been beating Edmonton late. That's first in rushing yards per game by 37 yards per game right now. They have separated themselves from the field through their first couple of games. But Toronto's offense is best in the CFL at points scored, 37 and a half. Net offense, nearly 400 yards per game right now. Yards per play, 7.32. I can go on and on and on. They are only allowing one sack, which I think is a real interesting one when you're going up against BC based on what we saw last week. They have not lost any fumbles. I mean, they're having success in a variety of places. Here's the problem. (laughs) <laughs> the BC Lions defense, first in points allowed, only seven, right? Uh, net offense, they are allowing 211 yards per game of net offense. That is first by 79 yards per, Goodness. per game right now. They're holding their opponents to the least yards per play offensively. They have 11 sacks. That's the best in the Canadian Football League. They're holding the opponent's average pass to just five yards per pass. That's the best. In the... This is as I say off the top, legitimately, I think the CFL falling face first into 
oh my god what a matchup to put on a monday of canada day weekend incredible and man toronto is in for some toronto's in for an awakening let's say that hamilton's defensive front isn't bad but bc uh we a lot of a lot of the talk in winnipeg this offseason the preseason was continuity right look at all these starters that are back from the gray cup bc there's they're 12 defensive players all back from last year Right there, uh, as best I can think, like Jordan Williams had been pushed to a backup spot by Ben Laddick and Bola Combo. So uh, I think all 12 of their guys are, are uh, Purifoy's gone, but uh, all the guys, the guys who replaced them were all there last year. Yeah. Continuity has done tremendous things for them. And then, man, Jordan McSimmick in that offense uh, has things dialed in without their two best receivers, by the way, in the game against Winnipeg, which makes me that much more impressed with everything that's going on there. Sean White is as reliable as it comes in his field goal range. And Flintoff is fine as a punter, whatever. Uh, BC was super impressive, but uh, someone's got to figure out, and Toronto's challenge will be, maybe maybe there's more Andrew Harris snaps in this game, but Toronto uh, Toronto's got to control BC's pressure. When you can take three guys and beat five offensive linemen or five in a back or five in a five in an H back, you're gonna win a lot of football games. When and I, I, they're not they're not even doing it. Edmonton is all three man pressure. Uh, that's been their mo for the entire Chris Jones era. That was certainly in the BC game. Uh, uh, what was that week two? BC was able to to control that. You're like, oh, okay, this is good, and then fine, we move on. But if you can get home with three. I, I don't I don't know how you beat that. I just I don't know how you beat that. So Chad Kelly better be ready to run because uh, you, you might be fast and scrambly as a quarterback, but Matthew Betts might be faster. That guy is. I mean, it's week. It's what going to week four, Marsh defensive player of the year, Matthew Betts. Right now, at this <laughs> moment, he leads the power rankings for defensive players in this league. He was phenomenal in that game and Menard ain't far behind. He also leads the Canadian Football League in creepy stares into the camera as we go to break. Uh, that was amazing. That was be- awesome. Because he has done that before. I feel like I've I have gifted that previously, and I saw him doing that, and I'm like, oh, that that's his thing. I didn't realize that was his thing. Okay, good to know. Yeah, he yeah. just wants to be known as a scary person. Uh, and what was it? Nathan Cherry had a sack in the Winnipeg game, and yeah. I'm uh, since Woody Barron came back to BC last year, I didn't. I didn't kind of understand, but I, I watching games last year, like, oh, okay, I understand now. Woody Barron is a force in the middle there. So that whole defensive front is a problem. And those they run two Canadian linebackers. Props to them for that. Both guys who can motor. Ben Hladek's interception, where he, he uh, if I'm not mistaken, Dembski drags all the way across the field. Hladek runs with him. It comes out of, out of uh, Dembski's hands, a high ball. And Hladek has, like, one one thousandth of a second to flash his hands out and make the pick i went that's that play is nuts no no it's for, forever going to piss me off about ben laddick he was in the covid draft year right so there were there were no combines so it was virtual testing and i got a note from pat tracy former queen's defensive coordinator i had known him when i was around kingston growing up as a kid out in ubc for a long time now as defensive coordinator working underneath blake nil he usually sends me during draft time a note every year that says, Hey, here's our three guys who I think are legit. And here's what you should know about them. And just want to give, you know, it's great. He gives us background that allows us to do our job better on television. So he sends that note and Ben Hladek was included. And I hadn't had a chance to watch very much U sports doing the CFL grind throughout the year. So I'm like, okay, I go back and I watch. I'm like, yeah, this guy's a really good player. And then I saw the virtual combine 
testing numbers come in and I went, oh my God, and you and I were just drooling about that on this very podcast. And then I reached out to a bunch of people and I'm like, this is crazy. This guy looks like an incredible prospect. And every single person to a man, other than Pat Tracy, defense coordinator who saw him every day in practice said to me, they're virtual testing numbers. That's BS. There's no way that guy ran like that. There's no way that guy can do that. He's not that quick. He's not that big. He's not. Everybody doubted him in every single way. I mock draft him to BC in like the first, I think, max second round, if I can remember properly off the top of my head, because I'm like, they have to go get him because I believe that he's actually going to be this good. And then you see Jordan Williams, the first overall pick, get traded to Toronto, which is another great storyline for this game. And they're just ho-hum, like, that's fine. We have Ben Hladek, who we got as like a third, fourth round pick or whatever. So I'm angry at the CFL world for just not appreciating him enough just because there was this whole pandemic thing happening and nobody wanted to believe he was actually going to be that good. Because everything that you just talked about is why he is this good and why this BC defense yeah. is this good. Yeah, we we I remember us joking about uh I want to see him on special teams because he might explode somebody's carcass on special teams and he's he's already infinitely better than that, right? It's it, it's it's no small feat running two Canadian linebackers in this league. Like you only have two linebackers to have both of them be Canadian and the flexibility that gives you, and then your front and then oh by the way, you also have two def- three defensive ends that are Canadian. They have a, an unexpected number of Canadians on that defense, and there's not one of them that you would want to – you'd probably swap out for anybody else right now. No. Like, I could make a, some backhanded, backdoor arguments for, oh, well, this guy, but BC is fu- – 21 points in total? Like, yeah. in total in three games against them? Defense, special teams combined? Incredible. Incredible stuff. And to end things off here, I'll just mention the other stuff that blew my mind prepping for this three-game weekend is that I looked at the Ottawa uh, point-after attempt percentage, and I saw that it was zero. And I was like, oh, yeah, how the, how is that possible? And I went, wait a minute. They don't have an offensive touchdown. The only touchdown they have is a Brandon Dandridge punt return, and I think the extra point was missed by Lewis Ward. So I'm like, ah, oh, okay, that's a weird, gross stat to go into the weekend. But I promise as the weekend goes on again, it will build from Edmonton, Ottawa. Maybe we get a great game there. We'll see what happens. Jared Daggy looks like a hell of a lot of fun. I hope he delivers. DT and yeah. I will, of course, be in Montreal and have that Winnipeg matchup. And then BC, Toronto to round things out. DT, thanks for fitting everything in here. Let people know where they can listen to you and when going into Saturday. 680 CJLB. We have our coaches show every day at 425, where I talk to the head coach, Mike O'Shea. Uh, the sports show at night with Christian Amell is at 6.30. And then, yeah, the broadcast is uh, Saturday night in Montreal. Pre-game show with Doug Brown, Ed Tate, and myself two hours before. As always, at DT on OB on Twitter. Beautiful. I'm at TSN underscore Marsh. Have yourselves a great week for everybody. And thanks for tuning in, as always, to The Breakdown.